0: The Bible is often thought of as one book, but it's actually 66 little books of all different types and kinds. But where did all those books come from? Who wrote them? And how did we end up with those 66 books? Last time on Thinking Theology, we looked at how the Bible alone is the source book for theology. But what are the books that should make up the Bible, and how do we know? In this episode and the next episode, we're thinking about the composition of the Bible or what is often called the Canon, the collection of books that are accepted as being genuine and inspired by God. In this episode, we're focusing on the Old Testament, where those 39 books came from, who wrote them, and about other books that didn't make it into the Old Testament. Hi, my name's Carl Dienick. I'm a pastor, theologian, writer, And Bible College Lecturer. Welcome to Thinking Theology, a podcast where we think about theology, the Bible, and the Christian life, not just for the sake of it, but so we can love God more with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. As I said a moment ago, the Bible is not one book, but lots of little books written over a period of about 1600 years. In modern English Bibles, the Old Testament books are often ordered into four categories what's called the Pentateuch, or literally the five books – that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy – then the history books – Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah and Esther. They tell the history of God's people from the end of Deuteronomy up to the return from exile. They span about 1,000 years. Then there's the poetry and wisdom books Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. Finally, there's the prophets. That begins with what are often called the major prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. They're called major because their books are long, not because they're more important. The major prophets are then followed by the minor prophets, minor because their writings are shorter. They're Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Sometimes they're also called the Book of the Twelve because historically they were often all copied on one scroll. But where did those books come from? Generally speaking, it's understood that the first five books, the Pentateuch, were composed chiefly by Moses. I say chiefly by Moses because there's some evidence of editing. For instance, Moses couldn't have written about his own death in Deuteronomy 31. Someone else had to finish that part. Probably that was done by Joshua. And in Exodus 1, there's evidence that the place name Ramesses has been updated later in history to help readers understand the place that was being referred to a bit like we might now use the name Iraq instead of the name Babylon to refer to that part of the Middle East. But those minor issues aside, there's certainly evidence that Moses wrote those books and was held by others to have written those books as well. Within the Pentateuch itself, there are a number of references to Moses receiving revelation from God and writing those things down. In Exodus 17 verse 14, God tells Moses to record the events in a book as a memorial. So too, in Numbers 33 verse 2, we're told that Moses kept a careful record of Israel's journey from Egypt to the cusp of the Promised Land. He also wrote down God's laws that God had spoken to him, according to Exodus 24.4 and Exodus 34.27. While Deuteronomy is basically a big, long speech from Moses to the people of Israel before his death. Beyond that, there's also occasions where other parts of the Bible refer to the Book of Moses. In 2 Chronicles 25.4, the term Book of Moses is used to refer to quotations from Deuteronomy. In 2 Chronicles 35.12, it refers to the instructions about the Passover which are found in Exodus. In Ezra 6.18, the Book of Moses refers to the roles of the priests and the Levites which are found in Numbers. In Nehemiah 13 verse 1, it refers to a law from Deuteronomy. While in the New Testament Gospel of Mark, in chapter 12 verse 26, the book of Moses is used in reference to a quotation about Moses meeting God in the burning bush in Exodus. So too Jesus and the other New Testament writers often refer to things as having been written or commanded by Moses when they refer to things in any of the books of the Pentateuch. For instance, in Matthew 19.7, Jesus mentions Moses' command about divorce. So we know that Moses wrote the first five books, but we don't always know who wrote every other book of the Bible. We know that someone named Baruch helped Jeremiah to write his book. For instance, Jeremiah 45.1 says, Baruch, son of Neriah, wrote on a scroll the words Jeremiah the prophet dictated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. We assume that many of the books of the prophets were written by them or like with Jeremiah by a scribe. Almost all of them begin in such a way as to indicate that what follows is the very words of the prophet given to them by God. So for example Amos begins saying, "The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel 2 years before the earthquake." But with other books we don't always know who wrote them. We know that David wrote lots of the Psalms We know that some Psalms were written by others, and some Psalms have no author indicated. But we do know that those Psalms were received by Jesus and the apostles and the Jews as words from God. In the same way, we don't know who wrote Samuel or Kings or Chronicles. But along the way, we do get hints sometimes of just how some of those books were compiled. So, for instance, we know that the writers often used other historical sources and encouraged people to check other historical documents from the time. So in Numbers 21.14, we're given a quotation from something called the Book of the Wars of the Lord. So too in 1 Kings and Chronicles, we're often asked things like in 1 Kings 11.41, As for the other events of Solomon's reign, all he did and the wisdom he displayed, are they not written in the Book of the Annals of Solomon? That is, the reader is pointed to another historical document. Another book called The Book of the Annals of the Kings of Judah is mentioned 18 times, as well as The Book of the Annals of the Kings of Israel, which is mentioned 14 times. The Book of Ezra even refers to The Book of the Annals of the Kings of Media and Persia. In other words, it refers to the historical records of a pagan empire. That's because the events of Esther take place— In another country. So we know that the first five books of the Old Testament were written chiefly by Moses. We know the authors for some of the other Old Testament books, and we know to some degree how they were compiled. With other books, however, we don't know all that. We sometimes don't know who wrote them. That's okay. We don't need to know who wrote them to trust them. The most important thing to know is whether they ought to be received as God's word. But how do we know that? How do we know what the books of the Old Testament should be? How do we know that the ones we have are the right ones? There's a number of reasons to think that the ones we have are the right ones and the only ones. First of all, there's ancient evidence for the books that we have. The scholar F.F. Bruce, in his book on the canon of the Bible, points out that again and again in the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles speak with the Jews about the scriptures or literally the things written down. The continual reference to the Scriptures implies that there was an accepted body of writings that were acknowledged as having the status of being the Word of God. As Bruce points out, although Jesus and the Pharisees disagreed on almost everything else, one of the things they didn't disagree on was what the Scriptures were. But there's other reasons too. I mentioned before that in our modern English Bibles, the books are divided into four categories, the Pentateuch, History Poetry and Wisdom, and the Prophets. The Jews too had a series of divisions, but they only had three divisions, which were slightly different. They had the Torah, the Prophets, and the Writings. The Torah is the same as the Pentateuch, it's the five books of Moses. The Prophets is a bit different to the modern English division of the Prophets, and the Writings basically included everything else that wasn't in the Torah or the Prophets. The first reference to those divisions that we have from outside the Bible is found in a book called Sirach, written in about 180 BC. It refers to the law itself, the prophecies, and the rest of the books, or the writings. And the first century Jewish historian Josephus mentions the same divisions. One of the earliest references from a Jewish author to the contents of those divisions of the Old Testament scriptures is in the Babylonian Talmud. It represents a tradition probably from the 1st or 2nd century AD. In Baba Batra, the writer lists the books in the prophets as Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and the Twelve. Then he lists the books in the writings as Ruth, Psalms, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Lamentations, Daniel, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. The reason all that's important is because the writers of the New Testament refer to parts of the Old Testament using those divisions as well. For instance, after his resurrection, Jesus meets some of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. In Luke 24 44, Jesus says, Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Again Moses and the Prophets are the first two collections. And the Psalms is the first book in the third collection. In other words, the Psalms seems to be a kind of shorthand for that whole section of the writings. A bit like the Jews used the first word in a book of the Bible to title that whole book. So Leviticus in Hebrew is called Vayikra, which means, and he called. A scroll from among the Dead Sea Scrolls with the catchy title of 4QMMT does something similar when it refers to those three sections as Moses the prophets and David Jesus also speaks in Luke 11:51 about the blood of all the prophets from Abel to Zechariah it seems that Jesus is spanning the whole of the old testament scriptures Abel is of course mentioned in Genesis 4 the very beginning of the bible while Zechariah is mentioned in 2 Chronicles 24 What's particularly interesting about that is that Zechariah is not the last prophet mentioned in the Old Testament in terms of dates. Zechariah is from about 800 BC, but there are prophets who prophesied after that. But in the organisation of the Jewish Old Testament, Chronicles was the last book, and Zechariah is the last prophet mentioned in that book. In other words, Jesus is referring to the blood of the prophets shed throughout the whole Old Testament scriptures as they were collected and organized by the people in his day. But we can also get an idea of what Jesus and the apostles considered to be part of the Old Testament by looking at the books that they quote from. 24 of the Old Testament books are directly quoted from in the New Testament. You can also look at where they don't quote directly, but where they use similar wording or where they refer to Old Testament stories like Jesus referring in Luke 4.25 to Elijah raising the son of the widow of Zarephath. He doesn't quote directly, but clearly he takes the record in Kings to be true. Or you can think of Matthew referring to Ruth in the genealogy of Jesus. And when you include those, you find that the New Testament writers allude to virtually all of the Old Testament as we have it, except for the Song of Songs. So there's pretty good evidence, both from inside and outside the Bible, to show that the books that we have in the Old Testament are the books recognised not only by the Jews as the Word of God, but also, more importantly, by Jesus and the Apostles. There are, however, some other books that were also floating around at the time of Jesus. First, there are what are known as the Apocryphal books, or the Old Testament Apocrypha. That includes the books of 1 and 2 Esdras, confusingly sometimes called 3 and 4 Esdras, Tobit, Judith, the Wisdom of Solomon, Sirach, Baruch, the Epistle of Jeremiah, 1 and 2 Maccabees, and a few others. If you look in a Catholic or Orthodox Bible, you'll actually find those books included. They also appeared in the Greek collection of the Old Testament, known as the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, dating from around the 3rd century BC. Significantly, the Apocryphal books weren't included in the sections of Law, Prophets and Writings that Jesus and the Apostles mention, and while they were read and appreciated by people, they never seemed to be ascribed the same status as the books from the Law, Prophets and Writings. For instance, the first-century Jewish historian Josephus describes those books from Moses, the Prophets and Writings, as divinely inspired, but then he says about the other books— It is true our history has been written since Artaxerxes very particularly, but has not been esteemed of the like authority with the former by our forefathers, because there has not been an exact succession of prophets since that time. In other words, the other books aren't the same as the ones considered by the Jews to be scripture. And it's interesting to note too that the first century Jewish philosopher Philo doesn't ever quote from the Apocrypha, suggesting that Maybe he didn't consider it worthy, just like Josephus didn't. Nevertheless, throughout the history of the Church, people have never really been shy about those books. People knew about them and read them, but never really considered them part of the Bible. The 17th century Belgic Confession from the time of the Reformation says about the apocryphal books compared to the Bible, We distinguish these sacred books from the apocryphal, all of which the Church may read and take instruction from, so far as they agree with the canonical books, but they are far from having such power and efficacy as that we may from their testimony confirm any point of faith or of the Christian religion, much less to detract from the authority of the other sacred books. So while they're not part of the Bible and we can't hang any doctrine on them, they can still be somewhat helpful— the books of 1 and 2 Maccabees are helpful for discovering more about what's called the intertestamental period, that is, the time between the end of the Old Testament and about 400 BC, and the writing of the New Testament. There are no parts of the Old Testament scriptures that cover that period. But the Maccabees do cover that period of history, and yet no one ever considered what they said to be inspired like they did, say, the book of Samuel. But as well as the Apocrypha, there are also a number of what are called pseudepigraphal books. Those books are never and were never included among the biblical canon. Strictly speaking, the term pseudepigraphal refers to books that claim to be written by someone else. For instance, one of the books from the Old Testament pseudepigrapha is called the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs, which purports to be written by the Twelve Sons of Jacob, but clearly they weren't written by them. But the pseudepigrapha has come to refer to a wider set of works, basically a random collection of works that are generally unconnected with each other, and that span a period from about the 6th century BC until the 9th century AD. And in case that isn't all confusing enough, there's also a New Testament apocrypha and a New Testament pseudepigrapha, but we'll look at those in the next episode. Among the Old Testament pseudepigrapha are books like the Sibylline Oracles, the Book of Jubilees, 3 and 4 Maccabees, and lots of others. But there's far more than in the Apocrypha, because the category really just refers to books that we know about, that people had, that weren't part of the Bible. Perhaps the most interesting connection between the Bible and the pseudepigrapha, though, is found in Peter and Jude. Both Peter and Jude make reference to events mentioned in the book of Enoch, which is part of the Old Testament pseudobigrapher. We might find that troubling at first, but it's not much different really from the way that Paul once or twice quotes from Greek philosophers or poets. In both cases, what Paul and Peter and Jude are doing is playing off ideas with which their readers would have been familiar, rather than identifying either the writer of Enoch or the Greek poets as having been inspired by God. But that aside, no one seriously considers the pseudepigraphal books as part of the Bible just because they were floating around at the same time. It'd be like someone in a thousand years thinking that Harry Potter was part of the Christian canon because they excavated a Christian house from the early 21st century containing both a Bible and Harry Potter books. But maybe one of the most important indications that the Old Testament that we have is the right Old Testament is that it fits together both the Old Testament writers and the New Testament writers quote and refer to lots and lots of different parts of the Old Testament. And not just in the way of quoting a single sentence out of context to make a point, but they quote from the Old Testament in such a way that they rely on the underlying substructure of thought that runs through it. Again and again, the New Testament writers argue that Jesus fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. And the arguments they make present testable claims, that is, Whether or not Jesus really does fulfill the Old Testament scriptures can be examined and tested. But in doing that, in making those arguments, the writers show how all the books of the Bible fit together, and how they agree and make sense. That's a remarkable feat for a book written over 1600 years by multiple different authors in multiple different places, and multiple different cultures. Even as one author, it's virtually impossible to write a book Without contradictions, just ask Muhammad or Joseph Smith. But in the Bible, all the efforts of all the different authors from all different times and places lock together into one cogent narrative. And that makes sense because the New Testament writers claim that the writers of the Old Testament were not simply writing down their own thoughts, but as Peter says in 2 Peter 1 verse 21, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's good reasons, both from inside and outside the Bible, to believe that the Old Testament we have is the right Old Testament, containing the very words of God. That's all for this episode of Thinking Theology. Join me next time as we think about where the New Testament came from. Thanks for listening.